Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Well, another fantastic week. Worldwide, every place, turmoil, excitement, wars, lies, deceit. Uh, I wonder where we're going all the time. I, it, it gets confusing after a while. I remember when things were sedate and we didn't get up every morning and put on television wondering what had happened in the last 12 hours during the night that was bad. We turned on the television to see the morning news that was sedate or some kind of musical show or husband and wife or a man and a woman talking to each other and having coffee, the breakfast club of some sort. Not that way anymore. Okay, we're going to take a trip tonight. We're going to go all over the world tonight a little bit. We're going to start with Vietnam, then Venezuela, the Panhandle in Florida, the Florida Everglades. Then we're going to go to medieval Europe. We're going to go back almost a 1,000 years. Then we're coming back to Naples, Italy, Atlanta, Georgia, and hopefully, if I have time, Key West, Florida. At this very moment, Donald Trump and Kim, Kim, Kim Jong-un are sitting somewhere in Vietnam with their second summit in about a year, even less than a year, perhaps. These guys love each other. At least that's what Donald Trump tells us. Kim writes some beautiful letters. And uh, he's gonna, we're going to have peace in our time because Trump is speaking. I think they've already done it. He wanted to speak with Kim alone. No one. With, on either side there except these two men and a translator or translators if necessary. Uh, I think Trump's ashamed for the world to know what he's giving away for nothing on a, and when he does these deals and these talks. Anyhow, they're there, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I predict. Easy. You, pre- you would predict the same way. Nothing's going to come out of this. Nothing is really going to be accomplished. Trump's going to walk out and say, We won! <laughs> Kim's going to smile. <laughs> Six months from now, the United States got crap out of this. Kim got something. Because Trump, the great negotiator, does not know how to negotiate on the world scene. You know what this reminds me of? Because you know he's going to lie. Trump's going to come out. If the world fell on our nation tonight, he'd come out and say, it's a good thing all the soil and everything's sitting on all of us. It's something I won, and I did it for you, my friends. He's crazy. Uh, He reminds me of Will Chamberlain. Do you remember? Prime Minister of England. Uh, He he confronted Hitler for the 80th million time in 1938. He went to Munich. He flew to Munich to avoid a war. And he negotiated with Hitler, but Hitler took total, absolute advantage of him. And when Chamberlain came back to London, as he was getting off the plane, standing on the steps, he's waving a piece of paper, and he's yelling to the crowd, peace in our time, peace in our time. Within one year, Hitler was invading all over Europe, okay? We won, he was telling his people. They didn't win. He was bullshitting his people. Though I think Chamberlain may may have been an honest man, he was incompetent. Like Trump bullshits us, he's not competent and he's not an honest man. That's how I feel about him. Now, Trump can't not lose. 
He refuses to lose in this present negotiation with Kim, and there's two reasons why. But he's going to lose, but he's going to come out and lie and say he won, and uh, probably half this country is going to believe him. There's two reasons. One, he's setting himself up to build a hotel, the Trump Tower in North Korea. You can see it. How many times has he said, I told Kim, boy, I can make you a lot of money. Uh, you know, this is a wise guy from a street corner in New York City. You're you're in between China and Japan. What a great vacation place, great beaches, etc. That's number one, what he's going to want to do. Number two, he wants to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Just a year ago, we were going to go to war. We were. All, I was afraid that Trump had pushed us into a war. He pushed Kim's back to the wall. Kim had no choice but to uh, send missiles over here. And they were yelling, calling each other names. Then Trump pulled the typical. He stepped back and said, wait, let's talk. And then he said, see what I did? I stopped the war, a war that he had tried to initiate or did almost initiate it. He wants to win the Nobel Peace Prize. This would be big if there's definitely peace with North Korea. And if he gets denuclearization, which he's not going to get, why would anyone give up the greatest thing they got, the nuclear weapon, uh, to make peace with the United States doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense at all. Anyhow, you know how it comes? He wants to win the Nobel Peace Prize because he wants it. It's a big deal. I, I read, well, you did too probably a month ago. Uh, the president of Japan wrote a letter to the Nobel Peace Prize Committee and recommended that Donald Trump be considered uh, as winner. He received the Nobel Peace Prize. And when asked why he did it, the president of Japan said, because Trump wrote me a letter and asked me to do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so who the hell wants him? I don't even know if the president of uh, Japan really wants him. We're going to move on, my friends, now to Venezuela. Venezuela, this is, a, this is a very serious, sad situation. It's a mockery. It's a joke. It, it's horrible. All right, here's the story. Understand, I have been following Nicolas Maduro and Venezuela for five years dutifully. You think I was taking a college course, making notes, reading everything I can every day on them. And I got interested uh, back when the people of Venezuela ran out of food and they ate their household pets. They killed and ate their household pets. Afterwards, when the pets were gone, they attacked the zoos and took the animals, cut them up and ate the animals. And they've done other horrible things because they don't have any food. Uh, things aren't working well. Well, Trump keeps saying, I feel sorry for these people. Oh, my God. Six months ago, he said, maybe we're going to have to invade Venezuela to help the people. Now he's he's got some people in North America and South America joining with him. We should help these people in Venezuela because uh, it's a humanitarian effort, a humanitarian effort. Uh, and he's sending food. He's got food on the border. Do you saw the, the pictures on, on the Internet and on television? Food! Great cases of food being shipped in, flown in, because we've got to feed these people. And he's backing. The United States is backing the upstart, the usurper in this matter, okay, who was not truly elected. I won't get into the details how I understand these things, but it would, it's not important tonight. How uh, The usurper... Is not really president, but he wants to be president, and Donald Trump supporting him, and many other countries. The leaders are also. Uh, they expected a revolution this past weekend, but I have been writing and saying for two years, 
don't help the Venezuelan people because they won't help themselves. They refuse to make Molotov cocktails, to pick up guns, to pick up rocks, to pick up stones, to pick up sticks, and attack the army. Okay? Maduro supporters. I don't know why. Maybe they're afraid. I'd be afraid too, probably. But they're not standing up for themselves, and he who will not help themselves, themselves or himself deserves not to be helped by anyone. Now, here's what's going on there. Uh, the only way, the only way that this revolution could take place in Venezuela is if the army, the Venezuelan army, went with the usurper, the usurper. They're not going to go with the usurper. Again, Trump doesn't know what he's doing. He's got Pence down there in Colombia rabble-rousing the people. Uh, and the reason he's not, they're not going to go is because they're part of the existing Maduro government. The army, the leaders of the army, are part of the graft and corruption that exists in Venezuela. Why should they change? Can they get better from the usurper? Definitely not. No question about it. They got it knocked now, and they take care of their soldiers. So they're not going to flip, and these guys, they're dreaming. They're dreaming that the United States is going to help them to flip because the United States, we're not going to move our asses unless the Army does, and they don't see the Army doing it. The other thing is, what's this all about? Do you believe that Donald Trump is truly a humanitarian? He cares about the people of Venezuela, and they don't have enough food to eat. This guy doesn't even care about his own citizens in the panhandle of Florida and in Georgia. And what is it, four or five months since Hurricane Michael? He has, he's done next to nothing for them. One-third of the people in the panhandle are still homeless. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough water. They don't have toilets. They don't have water to wash with. Okay, that's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. And what's he doing to help them? There's a humanitarian cause. You take care of your people first. He isn't taking care of his people. He didn't take care of them in Puerto Rico. Take Irma. I'm part of Irma. A year and a half here ago, Irma had us. Do you know there are people still living in tents here in, in the Keys? Okay, because the money hasn't come through to rebuild their homes. They're living in tents. They're living in squalor. This is wrong. And the government owes money to the state of Florida, the counties, and the cities because Trump told them we, it takes time to allocate the money. Go borrow it from the bank. When we get it, we'll reimburse you. You pay the bank back. They're still waiting. The banks are getting nervous. Trump isn't sending any money in. Uh, so, again, I go back to what I was going to tell you before I got off on this kick. It's all about oil. Venezuela has the largest oil reserves in the world. The largest oil reserves in the world. Trump wants the oil. It's money, big time money. Now, Russia wants the oil, too. And China really don't give a shit, excuse the way I say it. China's just interested in taking care of themselves and their part of the world. Don't bother us. But they're backing Russia on this deal. So it's Russia and China against the United States, ultimately, to see who's going to control the oil in Venezuela. And this is what it's all about. Follow the dollars. Same story. 
Now we're going to go talk about the Panhandle, which I was screaming about a few moments ago. Northern Florida, they got hurt. They got hit with a hurricane, a Category Five. I mean, the Panhandle's desolate. These are all relatively small cities. They're wiped out, and they're not getting the help. Uh, recently, when Congress wasn't in session, their congressman, their congressman, his name is Neil Dunn. He's a Republican. He's from Panama City. He had to go home. He was on vacation. He was reluctant to go home because he had not provided for his people. He had not gotten the Republican Trump administration to provide and help his people. They were the people of the panhandle claim they are a forgotten people. Yet, follow what I'm going to share with you. The House of Representatives appropriated $12 billion. The Senate Change that number to $14 billion. This is months ago for these people in the panhandle. They haven't seen a penny of it yet. And it should have been in the budget that was recently passed so we didn't close down the government again. But the Republican Senate said, no, we will not put it in. Now, this doesn't make sense because these people need the help. And the money's already appropriated. It's a couple of more paragraphs. That's all to get it done. Understand again that from the panhandle through Georgia, one-third of the people living there are still homeless. Now, Marco Rubio, our senator from Florida, who I sometimes like and I sometimes dislike, I think I dislike him more because he talks out of both sides of his mouth. He's a good-looking guy. I thought he was presidential timber once. I don't anymore. Anyhow, he says what this – he's upset. He thought the uh, some money should go to the panhandle. He says – Trump is holding the money back as a bargaining chip because we're going to have another budget battle soon, and it's going to be over the lofty spending. We're going to we're going to have to make some government cuts, spending cuts, and he's going to use he's going to hold out this money that was supposed to go to the Panhandle, and he's going to use it to squeeze. They'll get their money, but they're going to, the the other side, the Democrats, are going to have to give up on something else. Now. This is wrong. This is callous, pure callousness. This is pure, I don't care. This is, I don't care about my fellow American citizens. Uh, use, use our own people as a bargaining chip. This is wrong. They're still hurting. Nobody's helping them. Their own congressmen don't want to go home for a week on vacation. Let me talk to you now about the ultra-rich. <laughs> you know, we got that 1% that are so rich now. I, I forget the percentage they control. I forget, 25%, 35% of all the money in the United States are our ultra-rich. 1% of the population, okay? Now, we're on a 10-year spree here where the, the, it's gone up every year. We've done better and better as a government making money and handling our money for the last 10 years. I think this is the longest recession-free period in the history of our country. Well, I'm telling you, it's going to come. I've been saying there was going to be a recession at the end of last year, beginning of this year. It's February now going into March. No recession. I'm not disappointed. I don't want a recession. But it's inevitable we're going to have a recession for a number of reasons I've talked about before. I don't want to waste time tonight. Uh, now, there's only one other time in history where the ultra-rich weren't as rich as they are today. And this was in the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties, the Charleston, all that sort of stuff. People were making money like you can't believe. And remember, Black Friday or Black 
Tuesday, whatever it was, in 1929, and the Great Depression came. Men were jumping out of the windows of tall buildings because they got wiped out in a day economically. Their, their fortunes were gone. Well, we're pushing that point. And what happened in 1929 after almost 10 years of pure richness, living it up, the Charleston, everything else? We were broke until World War II. That was 11, 12 years. And then when, when, when the war came, World War II, that spurred our economy because everybody had a job now to make war munitions. Uh, and that's where we're going to go. It's going to happen again. We're getting there. Uh, it's going to happen because if you look at it, we're not in that great a shape except for the 1% that Trump takes care of all the time. Uh, we're going to have a major economic fall. We're going to be economically living in duress, and it won't help. It won't hurt most of the other seventy-five percent because we're already living in a sort of economic duress in this country. It's really only that top one percent that's making all the dough. I want to talk now about a snake, an anaconda, anaconda snake. Now. How do I tell you? Because it's affecting, it's going to affect Key West, it's affecting the Keys. We've got to talk about anaconda snakes. The state of Florida is a total screw-up when it comes to taking care of natural animals, reptiles especially. Uh, they let them reach a point where they grow so, there are so many of them because all these reptiles and wild animals propagate. They love sex. They have babies all the time. Their gestation periods are not nine months. They're much shorter, and they keep pumping kids up. Well, let's start with the python. There was a time when we could control the pythons in Florida. They came out of the Everglades. We didn't have any pythons, really, until 1998 with Hurricane Andrew. Hurricane Andrew took the pet pythons in the city of Homestead, blew them into the air, and they ended up in the Everglades, and they started living like Nature's beast instead of a home pet. That's where it all started. There are now today in excess of one million pythons in the state of Florida. Several years ago, Florida acknowledged they didn't handle this right. They cannot eradicate the problem. They can only hope to contain it, and they're not yet. A few have come down our way to Key West. Uh, not a lot. I think a handful. But Suppose you're playing golf and you see a python 10, 15 feet long. You're going to, it's not healthy, all right? Now, then came the iguana. I hate it when tourists say, oh, aren't they beautiful? These little dinosaurs, they're the ugliest things I've ever seen. Let me tell you, if you live here, what the iguanas do to the human beings. They eat your flowers that cost you money to plant and grow, and they shit in your swimming pool. And when they shit in your swimming pool, you've got to take all the water out and redo it, Okay. No one likes an iguana except the tourist. No one likes an iguana. The state announced about a month ago, we're, we're beginning to have a problem with the iguanas like we had with the pythons. They seem to be out of control. We're doing a study now to see what we can do to stop it. They're not going to stop it. There's iguanas every place down here. They hang from trees in everyone's yard, okay? They're crossing the road sometimes 10 or 15 while you're driving down. It's absolutely amazing. They're here big time. Well, I'm not talking about that now. I'm not talking about the python. I'm not talking about the iguana. I want to talk about the anaconda. 
Now, who the hell ever heard of an endoconda? I remember way back when, I think it was sometime around 1997, Jennifer Lopez and John Voight did a movie. They were on a boat on the Amazon River someplace, and the name of the movie was Anaconda because they ran into this big snake in the water that was called an anaconda. Uh, They're big. An anaconda is the second largest reptile by weight in the world, second largest reptile. They go up to 550 pounds. They also have the distinction of being the second longest <laughs> reptile in the world. They're here, and they're coming. They're, they all get in the Everglades. I don't know how. They're coming out of the Everglades. And let me tell you why I find it strange. I did a little homework on this a couple of days ago. The anaconda comes out of South America. Well, how the hell did they come out of South America? They don't land in Key West. They, they start in the Everglades, which is on the other side of Miami. And they're coming down from there. We haven't seen any here in Key West. I don't know of any in the Middle Keys yet, but they're on their way. And this is the, the state also said we got another new danger, the anaconda. We got to work on this before it's too late. We can't happen, let happen what happened uh, with the python and perhaps may happen with the iguana. This is wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> we get all these big reptiles. Uh, okay, where are we? Oh, oh, oh. I'm going to talk to you about the church, Catholic church, and sex. I'm a Catholic. I'm a fallen away Catholic. I didn't fall away because of the sex problem. I fell away before the sex problem. But let me t- let me talk to you about this a bit. Uh, we know how terrible it is. Uh, I've talked about this, I think, every show for the last four weeks because something happens every week. It was, what, two weeks ago uh, the Pope announced that uh, now there was a problem with the nuns that the priests were having sex with the nuns, then the nuns are getting pregnant and they have abortions, uh, or the child's permitted to be born and then nobody can take care of the child. It's a problem. And that in France, uh, a certain set of nuns, a small community, uh, came under the bishop's thumb and they had a sex cult, sex slavery. The women nuns were slaves. This is disgusting. This is on top of 30, 40 years of pedophilia. We're dealing with this. Okay. So you sit back and you say, why? Well, Francis, Pope Francis last week called all the cardinals and many of the bishops to Rome, to the Vatican, and had a two or three-day three meeting on how do we deal with the sex problem. So I did a little homework. We know that way back, a lot of the popes would marry. They're not supposed to marry, and they'd have children. Then some of the popes, they didn't break the rule about marrying. They didn't marry, but they did have children because they had sex. Then I got involved with the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar. Hold on one second here. I got it. Okay. The Knights Templar. They were a religious order. Uh, they began in 1119, and by 1307, they were dead. They were only alive 200 years. But, boy, they did a lot in 200 years. The Knights Templar were men. They were anti-female, supposedly. They were anti-female. Uh, they had a code of conduct, 72 rules designed to keep them humble, chaste, and obedient. They were somewhat humble and obedient. Chastity forget. Knights Templar were basically homosexuals, okay? Uh, They pretended that women did not exist. They uh, didn't talk about or associate with women. Uh, 
the rule said, look not too much on the face of a woman. There was to be no kissing of a woman, including one's mother. Okay. And never embrace a woman because that will cause you to perish. You will burn to death on the spot. Now, if a Knight Templar lived with a woman, no, not lived with a woman, was found lying with a woman. In other words, he's having sex with her. He's going to be put, he's to be put in irons immediately. Okay. Never talk with another member of the Knights Templar about the pleasures of a woman. Because then you and he will become peddlers of filth. Well, this is all very interesting. Now, they started off as, these were poor guys who joined. They really joined because they wanted a free meal. And they became members of the uh, Knights Templar. They only lasted 200 years. But somehow they became very smart financially, economically. They knew the dollar. They understood money. And within 200 years, they were the strongest economic power in Europe. They controlled the money, which wasn't good for them, by the way. Now, oh, I love this. Uh, the um, What did they do? Okay. They had sex temples. This is a Catholic religious order. Uh, they practiced sodomy. They, they, they loved homosexual sex, butt sex. Uh, they spit on the cross. Don't ask me why it's a Catholic order supported by the Pope, but they spit on the cross. When they became a Knight Templar, uh, one of the things they had to do was to open the cheeks of a, of a knight and give him a deep kiss in his, and the term they use is anus, in his anus. The anus was big in their writings of old. Uh, and then a big sloppy kiss, tongue to tongue. I'm not, this is how it's written up. I'm, I'm giving it to you the way you can find it in history here, all right? Uh, they, were, they were terrible. The young gay men, you recall here, we've learned that 30, 40 years ago, many of our uh, young men in the world who were Catholic went to, the, went to the, become priests because they could hide their homosexuality in the priestdom, have sex with each other, and screw little children, especially little boys. Well, the gay men of their time, 1100 to 1300, uh, they made a beeline to the local monastery for the very same reason. Well, they were, they, all's well that ends well is not really true. They were fighters. They were in the Crusades. And at first, these guys won. Everybody loved the Knights Templar. They were tough fighting men. But then Saracen got smart, smarter than them, and he started beating them in all the battles. So now they were not looked upon as they were previously. In the meantime, France has the most Knights Templars of anyone. They're the ones we see in the movies, by the way. They wore a white sheet or a white jacket of some sort with a big red cross on it. Uh, they started, uh, Prince Philip had a lot of them in France. They were all over Europe. Prince Philip, not Prince, King Philip, I apologize, was broke. I don't know why, but he ran out of money. He needed money desperately. His cousin was Pope Clement V. Isn't this terrific? His cousin was Pope Clement V. He got together with Clement. He says, you know, we got to get the money. We can share it. He says, what we'll do. We'll, we'll arrest them all at one time if we can. We'll torture them. 
will on the rack and everything else will make them admit to their homosexual conduct. All right, and then we'll burn them at the stake. But before we burn them at the stake, we're going to confiscate all their money. In a very short period of time, Philip the Fifth, Philip the Fourth, and Clement the Fifth made this happen to in excess of five thousand male knight templars in France. Now, they weren't supposed to screw around with women. However, those at the higher end of the Knights Templars, for some reason, had girlfriends. They were the elegant women of Europe. Elegant! And they didn't mind going with their boyfriends who were also, uh, they were bisexual. And this was open. And this was wrong. And for this, too, they got punished on the racks and lost all their money. Uh, So, that's the story of the Knight Templars. Uh, My religion has been screwed up sexually forever, it seems. I don't understand this. I really get confused. It bothers the hell out of me, especially because the Catholic Church in this country has acted in such an authoritarian uh, fashion when it comes to abortion and contraception. It's destroyed many lives. It's wrong. It has been wrong. And with that tone of voice, I end my show for this week. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, Please come back again next week. Keep telling your friends to listen in. My numbers go up every week. I love this. You have no idea how I love this. It's an ego thing. I apologize, but it's nice. Uh, So you have a good week. Think about some of the things I talked about, and I'll be with you again next week.